Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street, and I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation will include ghosts and the paranormal and psychic ability. I also discuss the fact that I'm an incest and rape survivor, and sometimes I discuss it on the podcast. Addiction, recovery, 12-step, therapy, willful education, emancipation, foster care, violence against women, and everybody being just fine with it. And I'm not, so I'm talking about it. Femicide, suicide, murder, people recovering after that, codependency and enabling, Christianity, Buddhism, agnosticism, atheism, BDSM, kink, autonomy, celibacy, joy, contentment. These are some topics that will be discussed on this podcast. I expect that you will use your discernment when selecting whether or not you want to listen to the pod or not. For those that may not be into this content, there's a door. Have a good life. I respect that you're separating from this content. For those that are curious, come on into the parlor. You've got a doozy tonight. (laughs) There you go. That's a little bit of that. Uh, The house on Valencia Street is a haunted house in Walla Walla, Washington, where I spent several years growing up from being a child to being a preteen. The house was haunted as fuck. There were several different entities at that place. There was a poltergeist at the place, and three out of four daughters saw ghosts at the place, yeah. So that's the setting, and I've gone back to that in my dreams many times, or some of my sisters do too. We talk about this house. We don't talk to each other. I'm in my 50s. My sisters are in their 60s. There's a lot to explore, certainly. If mental health stuff is kicking up for you, please talk to a licensed, board-certified therapist, someone who can give you context, clues, and an education. That is not me. This is one case study and one person's perspective about how I survived some pretty stiff odds in Walla Walla. And a lot of us face these things. We'll talk about Darlene. She's my mama. Or Mildred. She's my grandma. And they're part of the fabric of this place. I have a website. It's called anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H. You can go ahead and go down there, peruse it, download some podcasts, read some notes. You can donate some money. All those would be fantastic. And validations for my ancestors and for myself for the hours of work that I put into this podcast. Thank you. Anything else? Mm. All right, buckle up for this one tonight. Mm -mm -mm. This one was a painful one to dredge up. That being the case, it's beautiful. And it was unmistakable that I am psychic and that I could practically draw an architect's diagram of the room that was the crux of this story. You see, uh, there was a secret that this man that I was interested in had and he wasn't talking to me about it but God gave it to me and it nearly well it's probably part of the reason why we broke up yeah so why don't you sit down get yourself warm get something nice to drink maybe a cup of tea or whatever you're gonna partake of and now we're gonna talk about the tub hmm He arrived somewhere out of the bits and the bites of the personal ad websites that anyone's single these days. Back then, I think I still had hope or interest, yeah? I thought maybe I'd find someone. 
maybe I wouldn't be autonomous. Kind of seems that's how things turned out. Sometimes dating is a whole big <laughs> clusterfuck. There's so much that goes into dating and trying to find someone to date, especially if you're an incest and rape survivor like myself. At the time I was about to date Peter, I, I didn't have full memory of my abuse just yet. And I mentioned that because it's embarrassing to say these days, now having had recalled memories and seeing exactly what happened, I'd had other memories around the events, but never the event itself. And then when that ripped open a couple years ago, well, I started this podcast and boy, that first episode is a humdinger. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, it's embarrassing to say that maybe you were dating or weren't quite aware of harm consciously that had been done to you. And that maybe the way you reacted to things defensively or by withdrawing or being assertive might have been part due to previous harms that I may not have been conscious of. Yeah. There wasn't any overt act that was, you know, untowards. It's more so just kind of looking back, going about how I was making decisions uh, back then. These days I know a little bit about love bombing and hoovering and uh, discard phase and, uh, you know, these things, uh, flying monkeys and uh, smear campaigns. These are languages I've learned in the last couple of years as I've learned about empathy disorder and having a couple relationships with people with such things. Uh, I had a relationship with someone who I believe had borderline. He was a Vietnam vet and uh, about 15, 20 years ago. And that would start me on the educational process of what do people who manipulate others by design do? Because if you're starting with truth and you're starting with empathy, you may be at a disadvantage with some people. Yeah. Well, Peter was going to educate me some on that. <laughs> so I was clicking through some bits and bytes and I saw a picture of Peter. He was on a dating site and he looked like your typical beatnik, your typical hipster, I guess you would say. Very hairy, big brown bush of hair, a beard, although manicured, topiary, I would say. Big, thick, black glasses. Yeah, his features were strong. He also had a nose that was a bit like a ski slope that had a little bump on the end of it. He'd had some surgeries for cancer previously, and there was a scar or two on his nose. I didn't really notice that, though. <laughs> Peter was cerebral, smart, very smart. Uh, father had a couple kids. That was quite a big part of our acquaintance for his children. He was enticing. He had flexibility. He could work hours that he wanted to, although sometimes he would be up all night working on servers and working with data. I know that life quite a bit. We decided to get together. He was within an hour of where I lived, and we decided to get together. I shared that I'd been in 12-step. I shared after we talked for a month or so before we got together. It was exciting. I felt confident. I was working out quite a bit. And at the time I met Peter, I was in a therapy program because I thought I gambled too much. 
I was just starting to stop that and deal with the fact that my mom died. And that drove the whole thing. See, once I started dealing with the grief, because she died about five, six years prior, things started calming down. Because I always had the base bills paid. I'm stable and consistent that way. Although everything else was going someplace else. And I was having some success with my own business. So I had plenty extra money at the time. Although I was compulsive and addicted and trying to do anything but think about my mother being dead. <sighs> I was just coming to terms with that as I met Peter. I'm calling him Peter here for the uh, privacy or the others. I sometimes change names to protect the innocent or guilty. Hmm. <laughs> So, what was it about Peter that made me decide to get together? Well, I was lonely and horny. wanted to be with someone who accepted me as I was. Someone who was okay with kink and BDSM. Someone who wasn't threatened by a smart woman. He was very, very smart, and that's one reason I was drawn to him. His looks were enticing to me, and I loved looking at him. And he was kind of a geeky nerd. He's the guy that would have been a knowledgeable or academic decathlon. You know, he was like me that way. Uh, I hung out with all the nerds and he wore big thick glasses and I like big thick glasses and he was furry as a motherfucker. He was like furry as a troll. My God, it was like topiary with him. Although the thing is, I love that. I think it's hot as hell. I, I think a man who is furry like that and keeps it under, you know, control and makes sure it's clean and tidy. I mean, you could make me write bad checks just so I could look at you sometimes. Oh, holy hell. I really like Peter. He was smart and he was funny and cerebral. We talk about, he'd make literature, literary references and we'd quote Beckett because we were, <laughs> I once heard Trevor Noah make a joke about, oh, you're the asshole that's quoting Beckett at the party, huh? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> you don't realize how kind of detached you are and kind of arrogant you sound sometimes when you're doing shit like that. Well, he was like that and so was I. We like quoting authors and talking about authors and philosophy. He was well read. Uh, we'd read books together. Uh, you want to get to me, read some books with me. Oh, hot, hot as hell. So um, we decided to get together for our first date. Now there's an event coming up here that was directly resulting because of me being psychic and me seeing exactly what happened, and he wasn't being honest with me. And I had to confront him with psychic information that was very detailed, and he was blown away. Now that's coming up. That's coming up here. Although right now we're just getting to know each other, Peter and I. It took me some time to build up the courage to tell this story, because it's a hard story. Although what happens is what happens when you're psychic, and you don't want to be. Because <laughs> the fantasy sometimes is preferable. Yeah? Okay. I got together with Peter. I think we went to a Mexican restaurant. I told him that I was in a program and that I was stopping gambling and that um, I'd been compulsively doing that since my mama had died. And even if I won at least three jackpots that I had to file tax forms on because they were so big using my psychic ability, I had a year, a year or two where I was quite successful at gambling and making a lot of money at it. But it was hollow and it was compulsive and it was filling the void, you know. It was just mom being gone. Here comes Peter, the gentle, sweet, kind of 30-something father who's just the hapless guy. And, you know, he has the horrible, crazy ex because, well, self-focused people or people with empathy disorder, their ex is always crazy. Red flag number one. I had to get some therapy and do some research on this to learn this. So you're going to see a lot of red flags and I'll go, there's a red flag right there. 
bing, didn't see it then, saw it now, see? So I told them that I didn't drink or I was going through a period where I wasn't drinking or doing marijuana or any of that. And so we were going to get together for dinner. I was just starting to realize that when we would talk, there would be a glass and I would hear the clinking of ice cubes in the glass. And that's significant. That's going to be significant coming up here. Mm. We finally decided to get together. We meet at some halfway point between his city and my city. So it's just maybe 20, 30 minute drive. And his wife is in a mental institution. <laughs> Red flag number two. So, I mean, the thing is, don't discriminate people with mental health issues. That being the case, if you're getting involved with someone and there's a pattern, you got to pay attention and listen. Yeah. You got childcare and came down and uh, we had dinner. And he made a big deal about the fact that he wasn't having a drink. Okay. Red flag. Bing, bing. He was talking about the fact that, yeah, let's have dinner. And, you know, I don't have to have any alcohol. And it's just fine. We'll just have, you know. And he made kind of an issue about it. And I could tell there was a tightness to it, but I wasn't aware of it yet. See, it was hard for him not to drink. Okay. We're going to learn about that. Oh, okay. I'm a codependent enabler going into this scene, not realizing what I'm doing. But I'm learning. I'm learning. So we get together and... He's cute and he's funny and he's quirky and he's smart and he's got his big glasses and his furry beard and a dark brown hair and he's not a big guy. Uh, he'd been big. He'd been about 100 pounds heavier and he went through a big weight change after he went through his divorce. And so uh, when we became lovers, uh, there would be these folds of skin sometimes that people who lose 100 pounds or more have. Uh, real attractive, you know, you may or may not notice it from the outside, but then when he was naked, there would be extra uh, there that was kind of a surprise <laughs> and the thing was I loved him so it didn't matter you know at the time so it was fine uh, but it was new that was a new experience for me being with someone who'd lost a bunch of weight and so their body was different afterwards right uh, he wore a charming little shirt and we had our food that was Mexican and uh, he was charming and we kept talking and we talked a lot and he was bombing love all over me Oh my Lord, he was bombing love all over me. It was fantastic. I was drinking it up like a sponge. It was dry. I needed everything he had. Yeah. During this time, I'm going to at least two support groups a week. I'm seeing a therapist weekly, working through the grief of my mama dying. So he's meeting me at this time. And I made it clear to him that I had gambling issues and I didn't want to gamble anymore. Okay. So I had a vulnerability, which I think he seized on a bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, here I am with a therapist going to a support group. A therapist, a lot of times will say, if someone is trying, literally trying and adjusting behavior, don't give up on them. Or, or if someone's putting the effort in and trying and it looks like they're trying and they're making progress, even if it's slow, uh, that is 90% of it right there. And someone can be imperfect, you know, but, I, you know, if someone's drinking too much while I'm spending time with them, no. Although if they say they've got some drinking and alcohol issues and they're aware of it and they're going to therapy, well, that's a conversation maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, we sparked it off and we had a lot of chemistry. It was spark, spark city. There was uh, beautiful eyes. He had long eyelashes and he had beautiful juicy lips and he was erotic and he was sensual. And we talked about music that we liked and we read poetry and he would read uh, <laughs> what was it? Henry Miller. He was, he tried to read Henry Miller and he, he was, it was Tropic of Cancer Corn, Tropic of Capricorn or Tropic of Cancer. I can't remember which, but he was really getting into it. And there were a couple of books he read that were kind of avant-garde and different. Uh, he, it was bisexual. I am bisexual. It was nice to be with a man. He told me a couple stories about people he'd worked with and loved and how they got close, real close to maybe messing around, but they didn't. 
Yeah. Oop. Oh my, it was te- teasing. Definitely. Um, another, we went to dinner. I came up to his city. We went out on the town. We had a beautiful night at a restaurant. We drive around a lot, um, trying to find the location because we met downtown and it was busy and bustly and stumbly. And there were walks through alleys and there was a kiss or two and there was holding hands and it was really nice. You know, I remember we were driving to parts of this larger city, larger than mine that had lights and bridges and water and dark sky. And it was exciting. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was uh, yummy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he goes to the ATM to get some money at some point and it's bouncing. He's having some problems. There's no money in his account. Red flag, red flag. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. All right. Well, I cover things and he pays it off, but he acts real confused about things. You know, the hapless 30 something father who's got kids and custody issues and is charming and fumbly. That's him. Yeah. So I cover things and he gets together and I end up having to cover his uh, babysitter because he couldn't get his cash for his babysitter. So ding, ding, ding. Red flag, red flag. Did I mention this was 15 years ago and I was in therapy at the time? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I spent some time. I ended up spending time. He's got this beautiful house. It's his relative's house. He's actually staying in this place because he's going through a divorce. And so he's got a relative who's letting us stay in this really nice house, really nice little house. And I'd spend a lot of time there in front of the fireplace when we were spending time together. We started spending a lot of time together and it was uh, really nice. I can remember spending nights on the carpet, which was kind of shaggy and thick. He was staying at this house that was his relatives. And so it was a really nice house, although it wasn't his. And he was there on a borrow. It was borrowed. Yeah. Well, he had a little daughter, about three years old. And her mama, because he had two daughters from different mothers, his little three-year-old daughter and I got along really well. And uh, there were several nights where she'd curl up in my lap and I'd read her stories and She'd bring me into her bedroom and she had a bunch of stuffed animals and she wanted me to meet all of her stuffed animals. So it was really important to her that I know who her mother was because her mother was in a mental institution. She wanted me to know she had a mother and she wanted me to know her name. There were three or four nights where she'd bring me into her bedroom and she would introduce me to all of her animals and say, this is my father and this is my brother and this is my mother and, you know, all these people. It's quick. Uh, I'll just acknowledge, just pause. This is really quick for me to be engaged with children. If I had children, I might spend a month or two getting to know somebody before I'd let them have access to my kids. As a mature adult, I would question his decision to allow me to enmesh and let me be around his kids when they're so young and vulnerable. And sometimes it's necessity is the inventor, right? It was really quick for me to be engaged with his kids. So I'm just acknowledging that now. And, and of course, sometimes you got to kind of figure it out as you go, right? I really cared about his daughter. And it was really hard when we broke up. Um, because, and this is where I learned, if you're dating someone with children, you be careful. Because uh, if you love him or her, you're probably going to love their kids because they're part of him or her, right? So there's always going to be this love for them, whether you like them or not. Yeah. So if you break up, you've now lost two people 
or three people. You know, that's the hard thing. If you've been with someone who has kids from another relationship and you get really close to the kids, then you break up a relationship. Needy, she would just crawl into my lap at dinner, you know, and cling to me and say, read me this story. You know, she was very demanding as well. And that was very humbling, you know. Um, he had another daughter that was about 10 or so. He got along well with that mother and that couple. They had a really solid friendship. And the daughter, though, was quite intelligent. One night, that daughter and I, when she, she was, they had different custody schedules, and Peter was drinking. And I would learn that Peter drank a lot and that we would be on the phone. I'd start hearing those ice cubes in a different way after a month or two. I'd realize that he was sauced a good deal of the time, okay? And I'm a codependent enabler, and I come from an alcoholic family, and this guy is drinking alcohol every time he's got a chance. And when I went to his house, there were these two big bottles of vodka with different flavors. And I was like, oh, you know? So you start realizing that you, after the third or fourth visit, you're like, you watch the bottle. You're talking like a big two, three liter bottle, you know? It's like, and then it was here, then it's a third gone, then it's a new bottle. And then you're like, uh-oh. I hate that feeling of like having to watch bottles. Oh, but he would take me to these quaint little beatnik type of uh, with it kind of coffee shops where there were poetry slams and acoustic music, uh, co-ops and volunteer and service options. You know, that's where he would take me. And I loved it. I, I just ate it up like candy. And we'd watch avant-garde French movies and uh, make a fire in the fireplace and put the kids to bed and make out in a thick shag carpet in a borrowed house. And it was pretty hot. There were some pretty erotic experiences I had with that person. Well, as a psychic one night, he just had his three-year-old daughter. His older daughter was with her parents and we were in this off-white house with its thick shag carpet and its beautiful off-white stucco fireplace. I was beginning to realize that he spiked his coffee with about 50% vodka. <laughs> That wasn't going to work. So we would have arguments about alcohol. And there's a couple times where he was like, well, you think I'm a drunk? You just think I'm a drunk? And it was like, that's never a good sign. Red flag. Ding, ding, ding. That was coming up here. There was just one night where we were playing house together. And uh, he was hairy and furry. And I liked snuggling with him. And he had a big, big bed, a big borrowed bed. Yeah, It was hard to sleep there, but I would try. I always had sleeping issues. And then I also... Um, I was into kink and BDSM, and he was kind of vanilla, but he was open-minded and bisexual, so there was some room to grow, you know? And he was just really intense, really intense, and then started. I started seeing the kind of discard phase where they're slowly kind of backing up. That started occurring soon, but what happened was one night, his three-year-old daughter was home. They'd read a little something and put the baby to bed, or I know what it was. We were all hanging out in the living room, and I had fallen asleep on the couch, and he was playing with his daughter on the ground, and I'd fallen asleep, and I was napping, and I had this dream, and it was a psychic dream, and I'm going to pause. Since I've been using cannabis to help with my PTSD symptoms, I don't dream as much because uh, cannabis blocks the receptors that let your brain dream. I wasn't doing that at this point. I wasn't smoking cannabis at all. And I would have psychic dreams a lot. So here's one of them. I was laying on the couch and I saw a bathroom. It was a bathroom in a modern house. There was a garden tub. The garden tub was oval shaped. It was in the corner of the room. The corner of the room had windows. And so there were two large windows that buttressed up against each other to make like a V. 
Then there was a, t right next to the garden tub that was at an angle diagonal, there were, uh, there was a bath counter with two separate vanities. So two separate t tubs or sinks and a big, big glass vanity. There was blood smeared all over the wall and there was a woman or there was someone in a tub and it was just water and blood. And there was blood smeared all over the walls. There was blood smeared all over the countertops and blood on the floor and blood in the tub. And it was a murder scene. And it looked like the worst Dexter scene you've ever seen. We, and I'll pause, we haven't watched a horror movie. We haven't watched, that's nothing we've been interested in, Peter and I. So this is an, a foreign image that I do not understand. I wake up from this horrific image that looks like something out of, you know, Law and Order SVU. No, Law and Order murder mystery something. There was a murder involved, somebody's dead body and a bunch of blood all over the place. And uh, I woke up from this and it, it felt different. How do I know that it felt different? It feels like a snapshot. It looks like you're viewing a crime scene. It looks like someone's nudging you and saying, this is a factual thing. That it feels like the fabric is different energetically than a fantasy. It's different than smoking weed and having a you know, hallucination. It's a uh, concrete. You feel like you could reach out and touch it. This is something that I do called remote viewing. And for some reason, I'm going back into a significant time and place. And they're telling, showing me a horrific thing. They're showing me and saying, I know somehow the way the fabric of this energy aligns that this is something that practically happened. And this practically happened to the people that I know here. Somehow I know somebody in this room experienced this. Again, I, I got a lot of great words now, but I didn't then. <laughs> so I wake up and I wake up from this disturbing horrific dream and I'm on the couch and there's a three-year-old girl in the room and there's this beautiful furry big glasses uh, well manicured uh, man named Peter playing with his daughter they're sitting in front of the fire I look like I'm in a Norman Rockwell image you know and I've just woken up over this kind of Stephen King Carrie-esque kind of image you know like at the prom. It's what I'm seeing blood everywhere. And I wake up and I'm just paused and I'm trying to get my scruples or my, my marbles. I'm like, okay, I'm just paused and I'm going something. This is traumatic. I, you know, even talking about it's hard. And I think that's why I had to kind of get stoned and take my time to come to the microphone because this was really a disturbing image. So I wake up and there's the daughter and she's beautiful. And there's Peter and I can't say anything. I've just had this traumatic thing. And I'm like, this is a psychic thing and I can't tell them about it. So I wait and I'm going to talk to Peter about it after we put the kid to bed. So, okay. We end up putting the kid to bed and we're sitting in this idyllic, beautiful borrowed house that uh, Peter's living in with his daughter, this particular daughter tonight. And I say, I need to talk to you about something because I had a psychic thing happen and I need to talk to you about it. He was like, okay. So then I describe the room and I can tell you the build of the room proportionately and I can tell you exactly there was a diagonal garden bath it was full of blood there was blood all over the wall there were two two different sinks it was a vanity there was a huge mirror there's blood everywhere there's a body in the tub and I stopped and I said you've seen this this has something to do with your family I just had a psychic dream about it does this make any sense to you and he just looked at me like he'd seen a ghost literally the the blood drained out of his face he didn't know how to respond. 
he had to get up and get a drink. And he was talking like somebody talks when they have small words and it's really hard to squeeze words out. That's how he was talking to me about this. And um, he sat down and said, well, I have a story to tell you. <laughs> um, so after he got his drink settled down, which I was learning was iced coffee and about half vodka at this point, he proceeds to tell me the story. Peter had been married and was going through a divorce, a very contentious divorce. She did not want the divorce, and she had attempted suicide a few times. They were in shared custody, and he, she was still trying to get the relationship to go again. Although, uh, if what he says is accurate, which I've come to question some of his veracity after knowing him a bit, they were doing shared custody, and they weren't talking. He was getting near to a point of uh, almost a restraining order and feeling like we had to change our uh, plans, you know, because of this person's whims sometimes. And I know that he could not be without a glass of alcohol, typically. And that took me a while to surmise. And we had some arguments about it. He wants to tell me the story that I've just seen visual representation of that for some reason, angels or God or something gave me this factual image and said, this has happened and he hasn't told you about this and he needs to tell you about this. And I'm like, okay. And he goes into the bathroom and this woman's bathroom has an oval garden bathroom in the corner with buttressed windows that come up into a point and uh, dual vanities and a big mirror and is in the corner of the house, which I saw exactly in my vision. Yeah. He goes up and knocks on the door and opens it up and she's smeared blood all over the walls. She's tried to cut her wrists and well, she's successfully cut her wrists enough to spear blood all over the walls. And uh, there's blood everywhere and there's blood on the floor and there's a bunch of blood in the water. And he had to call the ambulance and she was taken out on a gurney and the entire bathroom was covered in blood. And that's what his ex had done. And luckily, I remember him saying to me, I'm so grateful that I caught her before she saw that image. I'm so grateful I caught her from having to see that image. This little three or four year old innocent girl that clung to me anytime I was over there. So his ex had tried to commit suicide, although he talked about it in a way of like, it seemed to be more of a show than an actual, I want to do this because um, it seemed to me more of a show than I actually want to do this because of the way she was cutting herself. They were more surface wounds. I mean, she was displaying like a monkey throwing feces at a wall. She was putting her blood all over the wall, you know, and she went up and actively smeared her wrists on the wall. Like, look at me, look at me. She had mental health issues. You know, sometimes people who have these mental health issues do stuff like this. And he had just gone through this. And this is one of the things that got her to be institutionalized uh, to get 5150. And this was his ex, right? So God had given me this image to let me know that he had to talk to me about that. And that was part of this picture. And he was looking at me differently. And actually, he broke up with me shortly after this. And I'll pause. Being a psychic sometimes, when you can figure out or God says this is their more private information, people don't necessarily feel comfortable with you. <laughs> 
<laughs> because they sit there and figure out there's no way she could have known that. And since I can't do it and I can't come up with a reason or figuring out how they did that, she they're a bad person and they have low integrity, even though they specifically gave me a date, time, and occurrence, right? Um, I think people feel uncomfortable with it, you know? So he said it was uncanny. He felt spooked. He was looking at me like I was a ghost. And yet I was traumatized. And I was saying to him, I said, that was horrific. And he goes, yeah, I know. I've been trying to figure it out myself, you know? And it was something that we walked through, you know? It became more uncomfortable with the alcohol use. Um, he also set me up a couple times where, because he had lost a bunch of weight, he was he had body dysmorphia. He wasn't really aware of how he looked at this time. And something that people go through after they've lost 100 pounds or more is they don't know how to buy clothing for themselves because they've been detached for a while. So they'll buy clothing that's uh, too baggy or too tight because they're trying to dial it in, you know. Peter would wear pants that were too tight sometimes and uh, too short a little bit. And I, you know, he had a decent shirt. He'd wear a shirt. It, it wasn't like it was uh, something inappropriate. It just was a little unflattering, perhaps, yeah, or in, uh, not quite so flattering. He was angry one night and talking to me about his older daughter, who was a 10-year-old, who she was a spitfire. She's the one that I made a diorama with, and she was quite smart. And she was just evaluating me to see kind of what I, how I was going to fit in, you know. And she was coming from a stable environment with parents that loved her and were capable of negotiating a good uh, parental agreement. Yeah. But she was arguing with her dad because she said his pants were too small. <laughs> She was right. Uh, the kid was right. I, I support the kid. I didn't say that to him, but, uh, you know, yeah, she was right. And he was, she was saying that the pants didn't quite fit him and that he didn't look right and his pants were too short and he looked like a high schooler and he was in, in his mid-30s, you know. And so he called me and he was drunk at the time and because uh, he usually was and I didn't realize it till later. And he says, well, what do you think of my pants? Do you think my pants look okay? And I said, well, it's up to you. I kept saying, I, it took about an hour or two. I, he kept barraging me and he would not give up until I gave him an answer. And, and I said, it's up to you. If you're physically comfortable and you're not breaking the law, wear whatever you're going to wear. I don't care. I love you. You know, I love you as you are. And uh, he kept coming at me going, but, you know, she said that they're not fitting me and I'm a little insecure about this. And yes, he was. He was quite insecure about several things, as I was to learn. And um, I said, I'm fine with how you look. Whatever you want to wear is fine with me. I, I, it's in a range that I find acceptable and, and I love you as you are. But are the pants too tight? What do you think? It's not relevant what I think. It's, it's what you think. And it's just fine. If you want to wear that, that's fine. It looks, oh, you're not breaking the law. It's fine. You know, he came at me for an hour repeatedly, like a fucking over and over and over and over. And that's something that people with empathy disorder do. They hammer you and they won't give up till you give them what they want. And they're relentless. Okay. Uh, so he was doing that and he wasn't giving up. And I, and I told him repeatedly. Now, these days I'd say, give it up. This is wrong. I'm getting off the phone. At the time, I desperately wanted to be partnered. I don't want that like that these days. So it, it, I have different motivation, right? So he would talk on and on about, you know, you know, do you think the pants are too tight? And I'd be like, they're, if you're comfortable, they're just fine. So finally, it took like an hour or two and I finally gave it up. And he's like, well, what do you think? And I said, I agree with your daughter. <laughs> I agree with your daughter. They're not the most flattering pants. If you're comfortable, I'm fine. I don't care. You know, it, it's if you want it. Later. <laughs> 
<laughs> when he would uh, break up with me in a drunken diatribe, uh, screaming and yelling because that's what he wanted to do. Um, he would mention the pants. He would mention the pants and say, you think my pants are too tight? You think I'm a drunk? And he was just yelling all this projection at me. And it was like, I have boundaries about some stuff. I'm discussing my comfort with things, but I'm not calling you any names. He was calling himself names, you know. And uh, one of the things he used against me after he tried to beat it out of me for a couple hours was uh, verbally uh, was, you think my pants are too tight? And it was like, your daughter thinks your pants are too tight. You kept demanding I give you a response after a couple hours I did. And now you're using it against me. <laughs> yeah, he was not the guy for me. And I realized in retrospect, he was self-focused. He was just trying to get through the day. Um, and also he had a drinking problem and I have codependency and enabling issues. And after a couple of years more of therapy, I kind of see that now, right? It was very painful to see that image of his ex, and it was useful and necessary. And I think it helped us get to a place of truth, you know. Yet as a psychic, I don't want to see that. And as a psychic, what happens is I see the most traumatic things that people go through sometimes, and it re-traumatizes me, you know, which is one reason I stay far away from people, or I only have about half a dozen people I interact with, and I know what they're going to do. You know, energetically, they tend to do the same thing, you know, so. But it's really hard sometimes thinking about, you know, developing intimacy, and you've got this whole Pandora's box of all kinds of things. But that was Peter and his secrets and his iced coffee. <laughs> with the ice clinking in the glass that he's talking to you. You know, while he's talking to you and he's drinking, he's drinking and talking to you and you think he's just, oh, an iced coffee just to end out the day. Well, <laughs> it's a 16 ounce glass with eight ounces of vodka and you're just finding out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bless it. So I'm grateful today. I don't have to be yelled at anybody who's got a sexy little beard and sexy little glasses and kisses me right and sends me Halloween cards with pumpkins and uh although we got squashed oh oh it was a bad joke I admit it okay to be a psychic and to date someone is sometimes to be handed information you may or may not want that is truthful and then you have to decide when's the right time to bring something up that you logically have no reason to know but you specifically can give a diagram a, an architecture diagram of the building and the room that it occurred in and people wonder why I choose not to date these days. Yeah, okay. I wanted to share the tub incident with you. How in a strange way, it was what gave me my freedom. Here's another indicator that you're dealing with someone that may have control issues. Peter gave me a cell phone. Peter put a cell phone on his family plan and said, well, it's only 10 bucks a month, you know, and you can have an old cell phone of mine. And I remember being in a support group when I was in my gambling addiction support group and talking about how I was falling in love with this guy and how he was amazing and he was beautiful and intelligent and he had some kids and we were getting along and he gave me a cell phone and I'm on a cell phone plan and we're going in circle. And the person in the room said, um, I just want to give you a heads up. Uh, sometimes people who have control issues, they want to keep an eye on what you're doing. So just be careful with that cell phone he gave you because it might be more like a tracking device than you realize. Yeah. Well, at the time I was in love, see, and, and also no man had ever bothered to get me a cell phone because they cared about me. It was the first time that had ever happened and I liked it and I felt like bragging about it, not bragging about it, but mechanically talking about it, you know, and I got a warning about it later and they were right. So uh, I learned 
Yeah. The parts of me that were engaged with Peter and falling in love with him, I like those parts a lot. And I miss the fact that, you know, I miss going to uh, coffee shops and listening to acoustic music and poetry slams and getting dressed up with your kids like beatniks for the Halloween, you know, and speaking French, you know. He smoked cigarettes now and again. So putting a beret on his head was the beatnik extraordinaire. He looked like the, you know, if you go to the dictionary, you look up the word beatnik. That was Peter right there with a beret on him. That was exactly what he was. <laughs> yeah, he was also a man who could make other people responsible for his own emotions. And he was also somebody that liked to drink quite heavily. The breakup was kind of nasty and gross. And I felt hurt by him, the way he handled it and confused. Although I didn't gamble because of it. And at the time I was trying to stop gambling, I talked to my therapist about it. Then I went to a support group and talked about it. And I felt humbled. And I felt sad. And at the time I went out and thought I'd find myself somebody eventually again. And then I got old. And I started telling the story and realizing I think it's simpler when you're on your own. And I think celebrating people being on their own is something I, I want this podcast to do. Yeah. Because I think it's a little bit better than that. Because I don't think I want to see that tub no more. No, no, no. Well, I wanted to share the story of the, the tub and the beatnik that was quite enticing and love-bombing until he was discarding and critical and done. And on to the next, yeah. I like paying for my own cell phone. And I like buying myself flowers. <laughs> I'm looking at some right now. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming to the house on Valencia Street. It was a long one today. Please understand you're not alone. You might get confused too. Maybe you'll stumble upon a psychic who sees your darkest secrets. Maybe you'll be strong enough to hold hands and walk through the memories and heal. Or maybe you'll just take a drink and move on to the next, yeah? Hmm. We'll figure it out tomorrow. Or maybe we'll just be present now. Thank you for coming to the house on Valencia Street. You're not alone. You're never going to be alone. Oh, at the house. Sometimes it's uh, whether you like it or not. <laughs>